0: And a big welcome to all of you out there who are looking or listening. Today, I have a special person with me. It's Pamela Maynard uh, from USA. And I'm so excited to have you here today. So uh, let's talk horses, as you said. <laughs> well, let's talk horses. Yeah. That's my favorite thing to talk about. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I want to know, how did you get into horses? How did you get to where you are today? And so on.
1: Oh, my goodness, Anne. I don't know if we have that much time, but I'll try to do the short version. <laughs> Got my first pony when I was eight because I begged and begged and begged for horse. So I don't ever remember a time in my life where I didn't love horses and desire horses to be in my life. You know, I was a little kid that, you know, you saw horses down the side of the road. You got excited. Yeah. Um, my dad said that the first animal noise I ever made was the neigh of a horse, which <laughs> is funny because I grew up on a farm around cattle and all these animals, but we didn't have horses. And I still thought I channeled the neigh of a horse as my first animal sound as a child. Yeah. And and then, of course, my dad bought me the whole Walter Farley Black Stallion series, so Ooh. every right, every little girl falls in love with the Black Stallion. So I wanted to do Arabians. I was very fortunate that 14 miles from my farm that I grew up on in North Dakota, there was a lady who raised Arabians, and I was her work study student all through high school, and then she turned me on to Elmara Arabians that was in Tucson, Arizona at the time. And they had a two-year apprentice program. So instead of going to college out of high school, I went to the Elmara Arabians two-year apprentice program. And <clears throat> Basie Tankersley owned Elmara Arabians. And for those who don't know, Basie Tankersley was one of the first people to import Crabbit Arabians from England to the United States. Mm-hmm. So it was really, really cool to have that opportunity because now Bazy is gone and her children are grown like older and <clears throat> not able to do the horses anymore. And none of the grandkids took it over. And so I felt like it was such a privilege to be a part of that because, you know, it's kind of an end of an era now. Um, there, She bred some really amazing horses and, yeah, and I've just been involved with horses in so many facets. Like, I I did go to college later in life and worked for a horse newspaper. I worked at the horse tack shop all through college. I've I've just yeah I've, I've worked in wholesale and retail around horse products, and I I'm like I've never really had what I would say a quote unquote real job everything's been no.
0: horse <laughs> you try to find your way through horses mm-hmm. it's yeah. the same for it's me used to yeah. train
1: train and ride and give lessons and just mm. it's just always evolved but it's always been around horses and for the highest good of the horse and so now I've been able to take all these years of experience and now I can help other horsewomen on their journey and If for me, my passion is about helping them discover a new path with purpose that we, we evolve away from the show pen and the show world, because I've, I end up working with a lot of what I call broken down horses as a result of modern day horse training and help them rehabilitate them physically, mentally, spiritually, and emotionally so that they can enjoy them on a new level. So that's my new passion now.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. And you you um, do this for the horses, but you do you have the women with you also? Uh, teach them how to.
1: I teach them how to do do the work themselves, and that's part of the experience for them. Is you know you can hire people to come out, and you can hire the chiropractors and the body workers, but I believe. <clears throat> that real connection comes when you start doing the work and implementing it with
0: the horse. That's right. So how do you do this? Uh, you you mentioned chiropractic. Uh, you you just take the horse and the woman and, and start all over again, or how do you do it?
1: Yeah, I call it my soulfully sound synergistic reset. <laughs> I know it's a bit of a mouth set, yeah. mouthful, but it's a it's a reset, right? And it's mm-hmm. both for the horse <clears throat> and the human. And we start by doing a bioenergy analysis. So I, I get this report from the analysis. It's kind of a proprietary method that I've developed through all the years of my experience because I've done all the body work trainings and I'm certified in bioenergy analysis. And so I've I've created a, a, a method to get a report. So based on what the horse's report is, that will help us set up a protocol. And we start going down this path and we test and we retest and we apply, right? And then we retest and check in and see how everything's going. And a lot of it's around energy. A lot of it I find is around emotions. I, I test for the horse's primary health concern and their secondary health concern. And nine times out of 10, emotional or chemical comes up as their primary health concern. Very rarely is it physical because as we know, emotions, emotional stress will manifest into the physical problems so we do a lot of emotional clearing addressing the horse's environment and their stress load a lot of its horse management that just some people just have never you know taken the time to figure out for their horse because well this is just how we've always done it and maybe it's worked for all these other horses but sometimes we have to make some changes in their environment and there's so many aspects of it right it's it can be saddle fitting it it can be physical it can be emotional and it and so i really feel like i'm looking at the whole horse but what m- makes my work different is i'm also supporting the owner because it can be emotionally challenging for the owner too to go through all of this a lot of times they 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 come to me as a last resort you know, they've, they've done the injections, they've had the vet out, they've gone through a bunch of trainers. I see a lot of times they think the behavioral problems are just a training issue. And the yes, the training helps, but that's just such a small part of it that we have to look at the whole picture. And I feel like when you're just looking at certain modalities, like chiropractic or massage or, you know, veterinary, we're just looking at one little piece of the puzzle. So I help people put that puzzle together.
0: Mm-hmm. Sounds great. So so you get them advices about the environment also and maybe move them or, or something like that?
1: Yeah. Or, or just, you know, like get the horse out more. Like I do a lot of work with people in Arizona and it's so challenging down there because they'll keep 20 horses on two acres. Right. So turnout is like the round pen, right. The 60 foot round pen or the arena and you can't keep horses turned out in the arena when people are riding all day. So a lot of times they don't get a lot of turnout. Um, You know, it's, there's just so many variables, right. And and then a lot of times it's out of people's control, right. When they're boarding. So, but it's so sort to of help them figure out what could we do to improve the horse's quality of life with what we have to work with.
0: Yeah, that's great. That's great. As you said, we, we, uh, human, we put the horses in stables and, and, uh, they, they don't get to move around a lot and, uh, It's difficult, especially if you don't have your own stable to get the environment that is right for the horse.
1: Yeah, I always say, and this applies for, you know, people, horses, whatever that, you know, I've heard people say health or movement is healing, but I always say movement is health. Right. Like, I don't know why people wait till we have a health crisis to get healthy. (laughs) Right. We need to, we need to move. We need to, to think ahead about things. And I, that's, that's why I'm in business because nobody comes to me until they have a health crisis. (laughs) And my mission, my mission is to, to educate people to, to start you know being aware of the obvious or maybe the not so obvious a lot of times it's it's a big part of my coaching program is to bring new awareness like cuz they'll be like oh well all of a sudden my horse was lame and it's like but if you go back and look at all the little subtleties along the way right or mm. oh we just got an abscess overnight well, let's go back and look at everything you've been feeding and you know the vaccines and the chemical dewormer, like let's go back and look and then we get the bigger picture. And then it's like, oh, it's not a surprise after all. So what can we do next time to avoid this?
0: And And people got no time. They wanted to fix it in a minute. Often. Yes
1: and and that's the whole thing about the Western medical approaches They're very good at working with ac- acute issues, mm. treating the symptoms, right but they're not always looking at the chronic issues and the underlying issues like the gut health and building the immune system, which does not happen overnight, right Like I that's one of the reasons and why I quit doing just the one-on-one work. I used to do the bioenergy analysis and I do a a protocol write up for somebody and their horse. And, and then they, you know, there, here it is. I go over it with them. This is what you need to do. And then they're like, well, two weeks later, it's not working. Or they only do it for 30 days. Hmm. Right. And I always say, you, you know, I can't fix a lifetime, you know, the horse is 12, 15 years old. And we've yeah. been doing all this stuff to it. I can't change a whole lifetime of improper care in a sixty-minute session, oh. and so I quit doing it. I, I, I had a really hard time coming to terms with that because I just want to help the horses, right? But I, I had to, I had to quit that because ultimately, ultimately, it's not helping them, right? The, what's helping them is getting their owners in a six month coaching program and getting them committed to follow through for six months. So then they start to see their return on their investment. I, you know, I, I'm a distributor for a nutraceutical company here in the States. And, you know, I, I can sell, you know, a thing of vitamins to your, you know, for your horse. Great. But if you don't, know how to use it and use it with the other products that work synergistically together, you're going to say, oh, those products didn't work. Oh, they didn't do didn't anything. Work, huh? And it's it because it's more than that, right? It's more than feeding a vitamin. And that thing I've been seeing a lot lately is a lot of horses that tend to be a little bit nervous or high strung. And so it's like, everybody's like, well, you just need to feed them magnesium. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know? and the, and that's not People a bad too. thing. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And it probably <laughs> yeah. helps, but we're still not looking at the whole picture. And I, I also start by clearing their liver because if the liver isn't clear, the horse can't assimilate the vitamins and supplements you're giving to them anyways. Oh. So it's really about peeling off the layers, right? And I, and I, I don't believe in ripping them off like a band aid.
0: No. <laughs>
1: like, no. no, I like to just peel them off. And we're just slowly going to th- go through this and find out what we find along the way and help them along the way. Cause it's, it's not a one, one trick fix and every horse and every owner is different. It's a, it's a process. And you know what, Anne, I'm find, I find out, people don't like to go through the process. It's a lot of work. Yes,
0: it is. <laughs> yeah.
1: But so is life, right? And we put a yes. put a lot of time, energy, and money and emotional investment into these amazing creatures. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, why would you not want to you know, keep them around as long as you can and have them
0: happy? And healthy as long as you can that's right and I also used to say that it's like building a house if you don't have the foundation the house would just fall apart so you you have to have all the system that's working for the horse
1: absolutely Mm -hmm. absolutely yeah it's the same um I see it a lot with I have three horses right now in my backyard that were kind of quote unquote, you know, rescue giveaway freebie horses that Mm -hmm. nobody wanted because they couldn't show anymore for this reason or that reason or whatever. And so when I started working with them in, in my mind, I just was like, oh, you're started under saddle. So you should just know all this because if somebody started you under saddle, surely they taught you all the groundwork and the basics and the foundation and I'm like, it took me a while. Cause I'm just like, Oh, they just have baggage or they have this or that. And I, and they did don't get me wrong. But I'm like, I realized I'm like, Oh my gosh, like you just don't even know how to do this because nobody taught you. So that nobody wow. taught you this from the get go, your foundation, right? Nobody gave you a foundation for your, your home. And then you just got tossed around from trainer to trainer or owner to owner we see that happen don't we right Mm -hmm. like i have this he's 22 he's a a pinto gelding and um he will always i see he's my 22 year old green broke gelding and he he, he's always been green broke because first of all they didn't start him till he was 12 and then they sold him to a lady who had MS, so she was imbalanced, right? Had some balance issues. He had less than 30 rides on him at 12 years old. And she decides to take him down the trail on a cold October, windy day uh, for a 15 mile trail ride. Oh. And so she set, this poor horse was set up for failure. Yeah. Right. He just was set up for failure. he, she says he bucked her off. I, I've never even seen him kick out in the turnout or on the lunge line, so I don't know how he bucked her off. I think he spooked and was like probably trotting off of his toes really, really fast. And she was imbalanced and probably fell off. But then she caught him and took him to the round pen and beat the crap out of him, yanked on his face, shanked on his face with the bit. So of course he doesn't <laughs> like the bit in his mouth. You know, and ran him around until he almost dropped, and then kicked him out in the pasture, and nobody touched him for a year until I took him. Oh, and, wow. you know, and it's like he was—he was just set up from failure from day one, and so I get this now, what thirteen-year-old green bro gelding who's been traumatized, right? And we go back, and we had to start from start from the beginning and it, it took me a while I've, and I have another I have a half Arab gelding that you know went from you know trainer to trainer to trainer because he'd come up lame he'd go to a trainer for 30 days and he'd come up lame and he'd go home and of course the vets like stall rest right and I got him when he was 12 and I thought because he'd been to all these trainers that he knew stuff. <laughs> I realized like they didn't even do the foundational groundwork so i'm going back and working with 15 year old horses now teaching them what they should have learned when they were 2 and 3 and and 4 and so this this piece of the, of the foundation that you mentioned it it just it it it's across all parts of your horse's life their their training their health their everything they need the foundational work absolutely
0: Wow, that's a lot to do <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it, is,
1: it is, but I think that's what I love about working with these broken down horses is the the joy that you get from being able to connect with them and see the progress they're still able to make because, Yes, my goal, cause I have, I have a three-year-old. So my goal with him is like, we're not, we're going to do it right to give you the foundation. So we don't have these problems later in life. And, and what's interesting is even the baby showed up because I didn't breed him, but he got weaned too early, which caused okay. stress. So now he has some health issues around that. And there, so there's so many facets of it, but it with the beautiful thing about these animals that I feel like anybody who's listening can relate to is like their ability to forgive and still love humans and connect with us because like they really shouldn't. You know, like the things that, that happened to some of these horses and then they they still let us get on their backs again yeah. as a prey animal. Like mm. I, I think that's what makes it so amazing and the work so rewarding. Right when they when you spend all this time with them and you're trying to quote unquote fix them and but then you have those little moments where they come and nuzzle your shoulder right yeah or or Winnie or nicker at you when you they see you walk out the door right it's just those little things is what makes all that hard
0: work worth it yeah it's fantastic. How do you, do you get home to people and help them from the home or you get uh, people on the horse to you and how do you work?
1: Well, being in rural North Dakota, I do a, a lot of remote work. Yes. And that's the beautiful thing about the internet and Zoom calls and stuff now is I feel like we have this opportunity to help more people, which means we're ultimately helping more horses this way.
0: Yeah. That's right. So you help them one to one. Uh you say they're, they're so different so you have to to help them uh one by one. Everything I do is custom. Mm-hmm. I mean,
1: yeah, we can do some basic foundational stuff, but I really get into the nitty-gritty of the custom work and the one-on-one work with people and and I've tried some group coaching and it, I find that it gets a little, a little complicated because you have the group of people and you're talking about, oh, well, I did this with my horse. So then the other people are like, oh, well, should I do that with my horse? And, yes. and, and then they get a little confused and it's better to just do the one on one. So that they're, they're super clear on what the horse needs and, and customize it, right? Their horses are just like people. We all have different Mm. needs and wants and personalities, right? They all come with different backgrounds. Um, I've been doing a fair amount of off the track thoroughbreds a lot lately, and they come with a whole different set of issues that I, that are, you know, different sometimes from the show horses, right? Yeah. So it, it's hard. I I think it, it it's hard to be like, okay, we're gonna treat them all the same because they're not the same.
0: No. I'll and
1: I try. and that's I think that's part of the issues we see with the tra- some of these training programs, is they're not super malleable. Right. So the horse will go into training. And if the horse doesn't fit into that trainer's training program, hmm. then he's he or she is kicked out. And then they try another trainer. And then like these programs aren't always malleable or don't have the found the foundation, right? These basic foundation, Let's go back and teach the horses. I have a, a friend that's a trainer and she has a whole little like 10 step Thing that your horses have to be able to do all this stuff on the ground before I will even get on them. Mm. And if your horse can't do all 10 of these things, then we go back to the basics.
0: Great. Yeah. Everybody should do that. (laughs) I think that (laughs) you get to know your horse so much better when you're working from the ground.
1: Yeah. Like she'll get a horse in. Well, he bucked me off. Well, you know, she'll point out to them, well, he can't stand it still at the mounting block, and he's ripping around in the rope. like, why would you even try to get on this horse yet?
0: No, right. That's right. Mm-hmm.
1: right. Or you know, something happens at the canter, and it's like, well, if you can't do it at the walk and trot, why are we trying to do it at the canter? No
0: that's right. I can imagine that you also have these problems. Um, I know i mean, I've been mostly in in Scandinavia, and uh, they get a lot of horses from uh, Holland, uh, the Netherlands, and uh, they just um, have a lot of horses, and they when they uh, break them in, they just put on a rider and then they go. Uh, they ride them for a while and then sell them. So when you get a horse from Holland, you you cannot get up on it because it's just walking. <laughs> As you said, um, it's make them stand still from the beginning. So you know the horse. It's dangerous when, when it's not know you and know what you want to do with it.
1: Right, and the and it's the little things. Right, It's the little things that we do in the beginning that sets them up for success mm. so that the big things we do later on aren't that big of a deal anymore.
0: That's right. Yeah. So you have all kinds of horses then. You help. I do.
1: <laughs> I have all kinds of horses. It's funny because My background is primarily from Arabians, you know, like I said, I fell in love with the black stallion and wanted, I got my first Arabian when I was 15 and, you know, went and worked at Almar Arabians and I worked at several other Arabian barns and, but I've, yeah, I've always had that love, but I got my first quarter horse three years ago and I actually don't have any more purebreds left they've all got old and passed away like i have a pinto who's technically 13 16th arabian i have a half arab i have a self-run warm blood mare and then the little quarter horse (laughs) because i love them all right i just love horses Hmm. it doesn't matter what color
0: they are or what breed they are that's right they're all the same A big heart.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. But I love all their different personalities. Like even the quarter horse. We we always say like, even my, I find my mom saying or like, oh my gosh, look what he's doing now. Oh my gosh. He is something else. Oh, now look what he's doing. Oh, that little red pony is just something else. He just something else. Like he's just so different from any other horse I have had. Mm -hmm. And just all full of personality and and I love that like that innocence in the youngsters that haven't gone off to the trainer and haven't had their quote unquote spirit broken or been, mm. you know, emotionally shut down from training methods. And and I actually, you know, I've had a little criticism um, the breeder when he was a year and a half. Are you riding him yet? And I'm like, yeah, no, oh. I'm not riding. Not riding my yearling because he's not even like a February baby. He's a May baby. And so that's what those, the, a lot of the people do. They'll start them when they're long yearlings. And, you know, and then when he's two, well, are you riding him yet? And then I have a friend who's a quarter horse trainer because now he turned three. Are you changing leads on him yet? And I'm like, no, I've sat on him. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I've been on him and we, you know, have walked and I'm not in a hurry. Like, I'm I'm not because I want. I tell him all the time. I I look him in the eye, and his name is Jelly Bean, and I say Jelly Bean, you and I are we're gonna grow old together, and I want to still be riding him when he's in his twenties, because I'll be in my seventies, and it'll be a perfect match.
0: Yes, yes, I I have a lot of customers who who say like you that in in the barn in where they have the horses that's other people why don't you ride why don't you do that why why don't you train that and and it's a it's big pressure for people Mm -hmm. I'm fortunate that
1: you know I have the horses at home so I don't get a lot of the external pressure like you do when you're in a barn and those comparison games show up in your head like oh they just did that with their horse or you know and then you kind of feel bad but but i i if i if i put all that aside right and i sit back and i'm i watch this horse I, I go, going back to the being aware of the obvious right and i watched him when he ran around as a yearling in the pasture and bucking and kicking and playing and cross-firing and when he's changing directions he's not you know changing leads and he's not he's not balanced he's a butt high awkward baby and Mm. his brain just wants to play right so I thought to myself I'm like not that I'm going to but let's say I did get on this horse how would this be a successful process for me and him to try Mm. to ride this right now you know and then and then I and even and he's had groundwork you know I've taught him to lunge and I don't take him out and lunge him an hour or five days a week but it's about handling him teaching him those little basics Mm. you know moving away from just shaking the whip that he can step and side pass or back or move from pressure just those little things and so I notice you know okay now he's two and I'm like you know, he still doesn't want to pick up that left lead, and he's just not real cadenced, and he falls out behind. And you know, and I'm like, so again, why would I, why would I get on him? Like I sat on him bareback, and you know what he wanted to do? He wanted to go over and eat the weed in the arena. Hmm. You know, his brain wasn't even with me, right? No. So then, right now, it's the spring of our three-year-old year. Well, now he picks up the canter almost from the walk. You know, he doesn't pull. He's just going around, cadenced, balanced on his own because he's he's growing up. He's figuring this out Mm -hmm. on his own. He's developing. Mm -hmm. He's leveling out. And I'm like, okay, so let's get on and see see where his brain is at. You know. And he was like, oh, mom's on my back. I'm gonna pay attention. Like it's a totally different experience. So in my mind, I was like why would have I done that a year ago? And I sure as heck wouldn't have done it a year and a half ago, but he's still a baby, right? He's still mm-hmm. like, oh, can I put this in my mouth? Can, you know, and and still yeah. has a short attention span. So I'm like, okay, I'm not, we're not gonna push it. I, I watch him, I gauge him. You know, he's had the saddle on, he's, he's had all the basics. Um, and I let him tell me, when he's ready for the next phase
0: yeah Um, and and the horse is not they are growing to until they are six years so um, you have to be very careful with with young horses
1: absolutely and but here's the thing is like you know there's there's people that Okay, so let's say they wait and ride them till they're five, six, or seven. But if they're not riding them correctly, they're still not doing that horse justice, right? No. Like, that's a, to me, it's about finding that happy medium, that that balance, right? Mm, like, because right. I think you can ride them when they're younger to a degree if you're doing it properly. You're not tying their head between their legs and not pushing it, Um, you know, there's, and that's where the show ring becomes, you know, a little bit of an issue. And I know there's been some changes right around some stuff, but like they have these faturities, right. And there's money involved in the faturities. So they want to get them started so that they're, they're ready for these faturities. And it's like, why, why do we have to have three-year-old faturities? Why can't we have six-year-old faturities? Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, And I, I know that like um, the equitation science organization is doing good things and providing, you know, research for us around nose bands and things like that. Right. Um, So there is progress. I really believe that, but we, we still need to be an advocate for the horse. And I feel like one of the ways for me to do that is not support the, the show ring, like by just not going and that's one of the reasons I got into dressage. I didn't know a lot about it, but I thought to myself, well, if I'm not going to show anymore, at least dressage is something that I can do and work up the levels and have my own personal fulfillment. Cause I'm not like, not a trail rider. I don't want to just sit on my horse and go down the trail. I like, I like to ride in the arena. And then I realized that some of the problems that my, was having was from his modern dressage training right so I had to go back and redo some stuff and and have discovered the world of you know classical dressage and and have been able to explore that and I am by no means an expert when it comes to dressage but it all goes back to this the journey, right. And letting mm, the horses mm-hmm. guide us and listening to the horses and the horse was telling me he was not happy being ridden in short reins and all bunched up. No. Right. And I had taken lessons and it was like, well, this is, this is how we do it. Mm. And it no, there was no regard to the horse. <laughs> and I was like, well, yes, we, this is how you do it. But he's telling us he's not liking this. So can't we find a different way to do it to make him happy? And they weren't able, they weren't able to do that. And I was like, huh. So I quit taking lessons at that place. Mm -hmm. Simple simple as that, you know, and and went back to actually what I would consider some of my foundational Western riding right? And I loosened the reins and I taught him to bend and flex. Cause again, I just thought he knew all this stuff. I was like, you were started under did and they teach you how to move off the leg. And apparently not because it, because it, it was so mechanical. And so yeah, like that's what I teach people is to start listening to your horse and you know, all my horses have different things to share with me. So there's not a one size fits all, no. and isn't and isn't that why we love horses and keep showing up and doing them? Because it's never a it's never a boring day. It's never you know it's always
0: you can we're always, always learn learning. more.
1: Yeah. Always, yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. My my dad used to say to me, "I don't know why you gotta still take lessons. Don't you know how to ride by now?" <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, you don't get it, Dad. <laughs>
1: <No>.
0: <laughs> that's right. It's it's an ongoing journey until you die.
1: <laughs> yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. And you know, and, and that's why I think it's important for. We, us to take care of ourselves too and I know that horse women women in general right we're so used to give 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 and taking care of the husband and the children and and the horses and the cats and the dogs and maybe at the end of the day I might have five minutes to sit down and maybe drink a glass of wine right but we don't yeah. take care of our, ourselves all the time and I feel like it goes hand in hand you know I talk about it a lot in my work is that our our health and the health of our horses is so interconnected, right? If my horse is sick, it's gonna stress me out. And if I'm sick, I can't take care of my horses. You know, I do all my own chores seven days a week, 365 Mm -hmm. days out of the year. But I also I want to still be riding when until I die. Like you said, we keep learning until we die. And I want to be able to ride until I die. Mm -hmm. I and I always say, I think I'd rather be dead than horseless. Yeah. <laughs> I can't, I can't imagine, you know, I, cause my dad passed away at 71 a month from his 72nd birthday. And mm-hmm. I'm, and I, and you and know, I have a friend who's 78 and she still rides. And I'm like, I want to be 78 and still riding. And that means I yeah. have to take care of me now. Mm-hmm. Don't, w- don't wait till I wake up and I'm 70 and I can't get out of bed one day you know <laughs> that's right <clears throat> yeah i did i just read a thing recently too about oh was it an fei show or something where they yanked several riders off ponies because they were overweight riders riding really small ponies mm-hmm. and i was like wow that's like I don't even know what to say. I want to say progressive. I don't know if that's the right word, but I had not, not ever heard of that happening before at a horse show. So, I mean, mm-hmm. I'm sure it upset people, you know, around body shaming and this, that, and the other. So I thought, what a what a bold statement to make to, for the horse, right? For the welfare of those ponies.
0: Absolutely. Yes. yeah you should think of the horses in any way they don't choose to be with us not all the time no
1: No. not i mean like if you if you think about it if you went out and you're sitting with the horses and the horses have never been ridden before they're not going to ask you to get on their backs no they want to they want to interact and they like scratches and this that neither, but no if you if my if I never rode my horses again the rest of their lives they would not care they would be perfectly okay with it mm. yes
0: that's right yes yes and if somebody thinks this is good I wanted to um, get in touch with Pamela where where can they find you
1: um, my website is conscioushoofbeat.com and you can. Um, I'd like to invite everybody to come join my Facebook group, which is Discovering a New Path with Purpose for You and Your Horse. And uh, I have a Conscious Hoofbeat business page on Facebook as well, so those are the probably the best places to get a hold of me. Find me on Facebook. Send me send me a message on Facebook if you'd like to learn more because. I could, yeah, I could sit here and go on and on and on. And I don't, I don't like to go on tangents per se, but just, it's about bringing awareness. I feel it's important to have these conversations with like-minded horse lovers like you, mm-hmm. Anne, and just bring a new awareness to people that it's not a, always about right or wrong or good or bad, right? No, we just want to bring awareness of what we can do better for the highest good of the horse.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's, that's very true. Yeah, so thank you so much for coming today. It has really been a pleasure and it's good to hear that it's not only me who thinking like that. You are very much like me in, in your thoughts and a way to approach it. Yes. So, I love
1: loved connecting with you. And again, the joys of the internet, like I'm in the United States, you're in Hungary and here we yeah. can sit and share our love and passion for horses. So it's beautiful. Thank you so much for connecting with me and,
0: and sharing your time and having me on your podcast. I'm truly grateful. Thank you so much for coming. It has been a pleasure. And uh, thank you so much for you out there who has been listening and seeing this. Uh, Please subscribe so we can carry on and do this and talk to every horse owner in the world.
1: (laughs) I love it. I love it.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much for today and see you later.